you're going to be in the service. You are. Yeah. Do you mind praying for communion today? Latching no, no, no. onto what I say, okay? Sure, sure, just, sure. Not a, just shorts, whatever. Just, you'll know. You added those two slides, my boy. Good morning. It is so good to be with you. Um, this week I went away for three days on a um, spiritual retreat. Um, I realized that I'm not used to being alone with myself. Um, I had the dogs with me, but they're not really great at conversation. Um, it was wonderful. Uh, just to shut out the noise of life, just uh, get back to simplicity, solitude, um, it, it was amazing. But I must say, I enjoyed going back to my family and actually talking to people. And I'm always keen to come to church service on Sunday, you know, but I was especially looking forward to being with all of you today. So it's wonderful to see you all here. Uh, it, it really is. When I was away, sort of uh, shutting out the complexity of life, I didn't have to make too many decisions. The biggest decision was, what should I write tonight? Should it be T-bone steak or pork chop? Um, I chose T-bone steak twice. Great. Um, so today we are continuing our series, Follow Me. We have decided to extend it by a few lessons. Uh, just to remind you that, you know, when Jesus called his disciples, when he calls us to follow me, um, he's saying, learn from me, become my apprentice, and become like me. Okay, take up my character and my purpose in life. That's what following Jesus is, is all about. We also learned how the call to follow Jesus is not an individual call. Jesus lived in community and his call to follow him is a, it's a call to become part of, to become part of that community. And then uh, Levuyu spoke two, two weeks ago about the benefits of following Jesus, the, the rewards. And although he didn't use the phrase, he covered already but not yet. Okay, when Jesus returns and in the age to come, uh, we will fully experience all the, you know, the, the reward of just living with God uh, in eternity, just being completely reformed, restored in the image of God, and ruling His creation as He intended us to. Um, but there are already rewards and benefits now. Lebuyu focused on relationships, and it is mainly about relationships, the family that, you know, that He has established and, and we become part of. Amen. So last week, we, because it was our AGM, we had a once-off lesson on finances, but today we continue the focus on follow me. Right, so opening question uh, in the theme of you know, following Jesus and being transformed to become like him. Um, is it possible for an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, to be fully transformed in their lifetime, to become a person who no longer sins? Is it possible to be fully like Jesus? Yes and no. Great question. It is. What do you guys think? Jesus is not the answer in this case. He is the He is the goal. Can we become fully like Jesus, particularly when it comes to sin? Okay, let's open our Bibles. Right, First John, chapter one. I'm just going to read verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
Let's fast forward two chapters. 1 John 3 verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. I mean, come on, John, what are you up to, right? I mean, is it like, are we going to sin? Shouldn't we sin? You know, if we say we don't sin, we lie, but if we really abide in Christ, we'll stop sinning. So yeah, I think the yes and no might have been correct. But let's zoom in, right? I've, done a, I've made the classical error of cherry-picking scriptures. Let's read the context. Okay, so let's go back to 1 John 1. I'm going to read a little bit around each of these verses. From verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so there's a bit more context there, right? We have sin, but if we confess our sin, if we bring it into the light out of the darkness, then Jesus cleanses us. He takes, he takes the sin away. It is as if we have no sin. All right. And interestingly, not interestingly, this was the doctrine. Uh, verse 7, he speaks about having fellowship with one another. And remember how the call to follow Jesus is a call to become part of his community. Right? And that's linked to you know, our confession and our cleansing and being right before God. Right? It, happens, it happens in community, in a group like this. Um, let's read that first chapter, sorry, first John chapter 3 passage uh, with a bit more context from verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What does that say? It speaks about a practice of sinning. Okay, so if we, if we keep on deliberately sinning, then we might not be abiding in Christ. If we abide in Christ, we won't deliberately keep on sinning. It's a lifestyle of sinning. Right, so John's not contradicting himself, right? You know, in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, a passage we use quite a lot, we are being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. As followers of Jesus, when we, when we respond to the call, when Jesus says, follow me, we undertake to learn from him, to be as an apprentice, to be taught and trained by him, and to become like him over time. Transformation is a lifelong process. Okay. You know, but when we get you know, caught in bad habits, harmful behaviors, negative thought patterns, when we let Jesus down, when we are caught up in sin, when we struggle, you know, when our faith drops, when we feel stuck on this path of transformation, we're just not, not changing. When we even feel we are going backwards, you know, we can start to doubt whether, whether we are still following Jesus, whether we can still follow Jesus, or whether we even are his apprentices, you know, his disciples. So today we are going to continue the theme, as I said, of follow Jesus. 
Okay, follow me even when you mess up. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah, but what does this look like? You know, what does it look like to follow Jesus even when we, when we mess up? And that's what we're going to try and answer today by following an amazing story of, of an amazing man who chose to follow Jesus but who messed up really badly, but who was restored and reinstated by Jesus as his follower. Okay, now you probably know who I'm talking about. I'm going to call Nolene up actually to read. Um, so, you know, you don't get bored by my very boring, monotonous voice. Uh, it's a longish passage. This is the main passage we're going to dig in today. Um, so it is John 21, chapter 21, from verse 1 to 19. I'm reading from the ESV. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. That's about 90 meters or so. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. <coughs> Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Mm -hmm. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Amen. Thanks, Noel. So Peter's with a group of men fishing on the Sea of Galilee. It's at night. They're not catching anything. And they see this person on the shore. Now Jesus instructs them to fish in a different place. Um, you know, I mean, everybody knows that fishing on the Sea of Galilee at night is the time you catch fish. Now, this is early in the morning, and Jesus says, go and cast your net on the other side of the boat. Yet they listened to him. You know, even though, even though it made no sense to them, you know, these were seasoned fishermen, they listened to him. And then, you know, Jesus says, follow me. What does that remind you of? Echoes, right? A few weeks ago when we started the series, we, we, we dug into the account in Luke, Luke chapter 5, where Jesus first called his disciples. And this is almost like a, a copy and paste of that. You know, Sea of Galilee, fishing, not catching fish, listen to Jesus, I catch fish, follow me. Um, now John, being the you know, super uh, clever spirit-led spirit author that he was, like all the guys who wrote the books of the Bible, he knows that we should know the story of the initial calling. He doesn't cover that, right? Leave that up to the other, you know, the other gospel writers, right? His readers know that, and they would definitely have connected the dots. You know, Jesus is doing something new, but it's not, not completely new. And Peter has decided to go fishing, um, and these other guys have joined him. And it seems, psychologists have pointed this out, it seems like a, a normal human reaction to a stressful time or a time of, of dealing with failure is to go back to something they knew well. You know, to go back to something that makes us feel comfortable. And, you know, so Peter went fishing. And it didn't take too much convincing to, you know, get the, the guys who were with him to go fishing as well. But that, that's just, just a little aside. Point being, though, that, you know, the Gospel of John is about new creation. Now, the first verse of John starts with the words, in the beginning. And, you know, John is all about describing new creation, you know, how God is doing something new. And, you know, so this is a calling and, and a reinstatement of Peter, as we will see, in new creation. The first calling was, you know, before Jesus had brought in the new creation through his resurrection. Um, so once again, this is just a theme of Jesus is doing doing new things. It requires some imagination, but he he latches onto a history of him doing things in the past. Okay, to understand why John is writing this book, it is all about new beginnings, new creation, and we'll see how he was giving Peter a new beginning. Right, um, but before we we get there, I want to pause here and remind us of the track record of Peter before this. He didn't have a very impressive CV. Eh? I mean, certainly not to lead a church, right? To lead the church, you know, to start, you know, the, the church on the day of Pentecost. His CV wasn't very impressive. Let's, um, let's back up a bit to John chapter 13 from verse 36. Now, this is shortly before Jesus would be arrested. He's spending time with his disciples. Simon Peter John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. 
Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have de denied me three times. I always wonder how Peter must have felt when he heard Jesus saying that. Did he feel, feel hurt? He said, Jesus, I followed you. you know, I'm, I'm passionate about you. You know me. I'm a bit impulsive, but hey, man, I'm here for you, right? I will die with you. Okay? And then we fast forward. We know the story. Most of you should know the story. Let's fast forward to John 18, from verse 15 to 18. Now, Jesus has been arrested, and we read in one of the other Gospels, I think particularly in, in Mark um, chapter 14, that all of the disciples of Jesus deserted him. But it seems to Peter's credit, at least, that he didn't run as far as the other guys did. Okay, He stayed in the courtyard of Caiaphas, where there was the high priest who would start the initial sort of trial of Jesus. So, Jesus. so Peter was close by, but he wasn't like super close to him. All right, so John 13, verse 36. Sorry, John 18. John 18, verse 50. There we go. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of that man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire, Remember the detail. Because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves, Peter also was with them, warming, standing and warming himself. Now let's just um, fast forward to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Can you imagine how Peter felt then? You know, it was like, I don't know, it was a day or two before the time. Jesus predicted that he would deny him. And it never entered Peter's mind that he would deny him. Yet, in the moment, in the pressure of the moment, Peter denied him. Right? Fear took over. You know, have you ever let somebody down? You know, maybe somebody you trusted and you promised them you'd do something important for them um, and you really planned, you know, to follow through on this, on this promise, on this commitment to them. But then when things got tough, you dropped the ball. I have, right? Um, you know, I can relate to some extent to what Peter went through, but... And I'd like to think that when I've let people down, it hasn't been as sort of serious as Peter did. But maybe it has been, right? Maybe I haven't always lived up to my commitment to Jesus. Maybe I haven't lived according to my pledge to follow Jesus, to obey him, to learn from him, to become like him. Amen. You know, and I was just thinking of an, an illustration. For some reason, this came to mind a long time ago, uh, last night. It happened a long time ago. Um, most of you know, and I've said this before, I really don't have many memories of my childhood. But I do have a memory of something that was traumatic at the time. Right? That's, I think, how human minds tend, tend to work. I was in grade six, junior school. I was part of a play. 
Now that just scared the socks off me. Oh my goodness. I couldn't say two or three words without stuttering and stammering it. I mean, I hated the thought of standing up and being in a play. But I went through the motions. I took part in you know, a few practices. I was given a role. I committed to being part of the play. And for some reason, I missed the memo that said the play is actually on Friday. And we were supposed to rehearse our words and memorize them. And I came to school thinking this is like a normal day. And next thing, the teacher was corralling us and getting us used to the play. How did I respond? I ran. I deserted the teacher. I deserted the team. Um, I walked to the bus stop and I was home by 11 o'clock. Trying to hide away, you know. And my mom came and said, oh, you so I said, oh I'm so sick, mom. Oh. No, but, so I was like, and, and then when my mom eventually figured out what I had done, you know, she obviously you know, told me I need to go and speak to the teacher. Well, the teacher knew, obviously. And I remember the teacher scolding me in front of the class and how they had to make this other plan and this poor you know, boy had to do your part, etc. And I bawled. I remember just crying, man. I was like, so sorry. Well, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, and that's a small thing, but people were depending on me. I made a commitment to be part of the play. But when the rubber hit the road, I just ran. I was just fearful. Um, you know, but as an adult, I've, I've made promises, you know, well-meaning promises. Too many that I can relate. I'm sure my, my lovely wife and Dean and my other kids can remember some. I've, I've never always followed through on my promises. And I think especially to my kids when I was just extremely busy and I wasn't making enough time. I think some of the husbands here are nodding, right? You know, I would say, man, we're going to spend time. When things are quieter, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And eventually I stopped making the promises because I realized I'm not following through. You know, I'm probably harming the relationship. But just imagine how Peter felt. I mean, this is Jesus, his Savior, his Lord, his best friend. And he said to Jesus, I will die for you. Yet he couldn't admit to a young servant girl that he was a follower of Jesus. Now in that culture, a young servant girl is kind of at the bottom right, of the social hierarchy that was in place. And he was fearful of even admitting to her that he was a follower of Jesus. You know, I can imagine how he felt the Sea of Galilee waiting for, for Jesus to meet him and the others. Would Jesus accept me? Would he forgive me? You know, I feel shame. I feel guilt. I've let Jesus down. Now, we're getting back to John 21 that Nolene wrote, and I'm not uh, read, and I'm not going to, to repeat it, but... You know, we read that, you know, Peter recognizes Jesus and he jumps into the water and swims ashore. This is his usual impulse of self, right? You know, he was excited to see Jesus, but it's likely, Bible scholars say that, um, you know, he had a lot of time to think about this. And it's likely that he was thinking that there is some unfinished business between me and Jesus. And it seems like Peter was keen to actually get resolved. And I think there's a lesson in that for us as well, right? You know, after we process things and we know that Jesus is ready to restore us and reinstate us and get rid of the feelings of guilt and shame, you know, how do we respond then? You know, is it with this sort of eager expectation, you know, that Peter responded with? Um, and then in verse 9, there's a reference to a charcoal fire. You know, Jesus has, has made a briar right on the 
the beach. He's already got fish. He doesn't need any of the 153 fish that they caught. He's got fish. And, uh, you know, they have this, this breakfast of, of fish and, and bread. And, you know, does it bring back memories in the charcoal fire? Remember when Jesus was in the courtyard of Caiaphas? He was warming himself around a charcoal fire. And interestingly in the Bible, the, the Greek word for charcoal fire, which I, which I can't remember, and even if I did, I'm sure I wouldn't pronounce it properly. But that Greek word is found only twice in the Bible. And it's a reference to when, you know, Peter denied Jesus and, and this situation here, where Jesus is having, having a, a breakfast on the beach, charcoal fire. Now, one thing about charcoal fires, it has a very characteristic smell, doesn't it? I have good memories of some of the holidays Nolene and I went on in the middle of winter and you'd light a fire and they would often have wood, but then there would be charcoal as well you can put on. It has a very characteristic smell. And, you know, it has been shown once again by the experts that, memory experts, they say the scent of smell is one of the most powerful agents to trigger memory in human beings. And Jesus, in his wisdom, knew this. And in his love for Peter, you know, he chose a charcoal fire because he knew that Peter associated the smell of the charcoal fire with failure, regrets. And it's around a charcoal fire that Jesus changes the future of Peter's life. After this, he would no longer associate a charcoal, smell of a charcoal fire with failure, but of, man, I'm connected again with Jesus. I'm restored by Jesus. I'm good with Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? Just to understand just, just the love of Christ and how much he knows us and individually and how he wants to connect with us. You know, I want to share another story. Um, lots of stories. I want to share with you one of the most vivid memories of... Do you recognize my beautiful young wife? Do you recognize Byron's nose there? That's Byron. Okay, this was way back in 1986. Nolene and I spent a year in Germany. I was studying there. And we had our first child, Byron, there. Now, in the background, you know, that fancy building, it looks like a nuclear power plant, right? Ooh, colors and metal and pipes. That's actually a hospital called the Klinikum in Aachen. And at the time, it was the ad most advanced hospital, I believe, in Europe, but certainly in Germany. And it was an experimental hospital. They just had amazing tech. And Byron, when he was born, um, there was stress at birth. He was a, a big baby, and my wife's a small lady. Um, and he spent, was it two weeks? Two weeks in the hospital in, in an incubator, and we couldn't touch him. It was horrible. We would see all the pinpricks on his fingers, and he would be crying. I'm going to cry, you know, because it was just such a sad time for me. And no lean. You know, every day we would visit him, but we just couldn't hold our baby. That's why I love holding that baby. <laughs> and, you know, to not be able to hold your own child for two weeks, it just broke our hearts. But what I remember about Clinical more than anything else was the smell. High-tech, clinical. It was like, what sort of solvent is this? I, I did chemistry. I was in a lab a lot, but there was like this unique smell. And it was a clinical smell. It was an antiseptic smell. It was an anti-germ smell. And it just filled the place. So whenever we would visit Byron, the memory I have, the most distinct memory, is the smell. And whenever I go to a place that has a smell even close to that, 
I would remember the clinical. It would bring back memories of the hurt and the pain and the feeling of helplessness. It was sad. Until um, I think God put it on my heart to our hearts to take our kids back to Germany. We had a nice holiday firstly in the southern part of Germany, and then we went to Aachen, where we spent a year, and we showed them where we stayed. It had changed a lot. We could pretty much figure it out. I showed them. I think we drove past where I worked. We took them to Falkenberg, which was our favorite sort of weekend breakaway, and we took them to the clinicum. And this picture and this time there changed my association completely. That's Byron. Same place. Same place with his mom. Okay? We, we share this at parenting workshops, and this was such a, you know, it was almost my, my secret. I didn't want to tell, but that was my goal, to take a picture of grown-up Byron, big man holding his mom. Isn't that awesome? And my association with that smell has changed. <laughs> now, if I smell anything like that, I don't, I, I don't feel the, the pain and the regret. Could I have done anything better? But I remember my son, who I'm proud of. Amen. Amen. That's the power of, of smell. And God knows us. Jesus knew this. And you can imagine Peter having similar memories. Charcoal fire. You can imagine walking towards Jesus, the smell of the charcoal fire comes, oh no, you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to be a good time with Jesus. Maybe he's reminding me of, of my failure. You know, so Jesus still brings healing by taking us back to the places where we experience pain or regret. It could be physical places, it could be mental places, it can be emotional places. Got to go back to go forward. Remember EHF? Emotionally healthy spirituality. You've got to go back to go forward. So Jesus will, will take us back, and it's uncomfortable. But he does it to replace good memories, sorry, bad memories with good memories. And we no longer associate a place or a smell or a relationship or people with hurt and regret and us messing up. But we learn to associate that with healing. That's how Jesus works. But we must be willing to go back to those places. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. Sometimes it requires making special plans. This didn't just happen. Okay? It was important to me. And with God's help, I was able to make it happen. We must let Jesus take us there. You know, I have no idea what this may look like for you. But if you really, if you really desire a renewed, refreshed, revived relationship with Jesus, pray about it. And wait for the opportunities that God will give you. See how God works. And he will send you back somewhere. Could be a place, it could be a prayer walk on the beach that you have regrets about where you said something to somebody. Maybe he'll take you back to King's Beach with that brother. You know, maybe it's a group of sisters you need to reconnect with. Maybe it's a physical place you need to go to. But if you really desire a renewed relationship with Jesus, Pray that he will work, and he will work. He will take you back, whatever that looks like for you. may not be a smell for you, as I say, but Jesus will want to take you back. And then you notice that Jesus has fish and bread prepared for breakfast. As I said, he didn't need the fish they caught. The fish were for their benefit, and a reminder, as was the initial calling of Jesus to his disciples, follow me, that we read about earlier in the other Gospels. It's a reminder that they couldn't do anything on their own seasoned, experienced, amazing fishermen. 
been fishing since they were, could toddle probably, right? But they needed Jesus. And no matter how mature we feel, no matter how awesome we think we are, no matter how well we know the Bible, no matter how well we're connected to the family, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot follow Jesus without the help of Jesus. In his power and with his direction and his wisdom. So that's, that was a reminder for them. You know, new creation, things are different, but they're the same, in a sense. Nothing's changed. I'll provide the fish. And fish and bread, what does that remind you of? Feeding of the thousands, right? We also read about that in John. That lesson was also, you guys can't do this, but hey, look what I can do. I can multiply the fish and the bread. So followers of Jesus recognize that we totally are dependent on the leading of Jesus, on his wisdom, on his power, on his strength. We depend on Jesus as much as the disciples will, but because Jesus is still with us. The spirit of Jesus is continuing the job that Jesus did. And the spirit of Jesus can do awesome, amazing, miraculous things. And we've got to remember that, right? Remember the fish and the bread. Um, and then verse 15 to 18, um, I don't think I'm going to read it again. Remember that, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times. And yeah, Jesus gives him the opportunity to recommit to him. How many times? Three times. Once again, a memory, you know, that Jesus is replacing. Three times is no, no longer associate saying, I do not know him three times. I'll replace it with, you know, Jesus, that I love you. Okay, see how amazing Jesus is? Three times. Similar to the smell. Just to let Peter know that he is fully restored. And then at the end, you know, Jesus, full of wisdom and wanting to complete the circle, he says to Peter again, follow me. And that's Jesus' call to us when we've, when we've messed up, right, and we're willing to go back and to be restored and to be healed by Jesus. Jesus looks at us, sin is cleansed, okay? New slate, and he'll call us again, follow me. So how do we respond to that calling? Jesus is calling every one of us here. Whether he's done it once or twice or a thousand times, Jesus is still saying to us, follow me. Now how do we respond to that, especially when we've messed up? Okay, so, you know, just how wonderful is Jesus? You know, I think more than anything else, that's the lesson today. Just how awesome Jesus is. You know, he knew exactly what was going on in Peter's life. He knows exactly what's going on in each of our lives. And he knows what it's going to take for us to recommit to following him. Let him work. Let him take us back. You know, so yeah, Jesus has achieved his purpose with Peter. He's forgiven him. He's given him peace. He's taken away the guilt and the shame. And he's restored him as the one, remember, who has the keys of the kingdom. Imagine how Peter thought about that. I mean, Jesus, give me the keys of the kingdom. And look how I've messed up. And we know that Jesus never took the keys away from him. And on the day of Pentecost, he stood up there. Having the keys of the kingdom, by the way, it's an it's a echo of an Old Testament. I think it's in Isaiah. The one who had the keys of the storehouse was to unlock it. It was not to open the door, but to, sorry, not to close the door, but to open it. And what happened on the day of Pentecost? What was opened? It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus with us forever. Always. Unlimited by time and space. Jesus amongst us. So he still entrusted Peter to stand up, the first one to stand up, and who led the sermon on the day of Pentecost, right? 
Amazing. Now, Peter would still make mistakes. Um, let's look at one of them. I think this is, I'm, I'm being unkind to Peter. He probably would say to me, yeah, what do you mean one of them? This was the only one. I don't know. He can tune me one day if needed, but maybe there were more than this, right? Um, Galatians 2, and I'll end here. Yeah, ooh. Verse 11 to 13. Okay, this is Peter who's been restored. He's a fired up guy again. Eh, still a bit impulsive. It was his issue, I think. And, you know, he has been told very vividly by, by Jesus, by God, through, through a vision that all food is okay, right? Now, food was a mass, of massive importance to the Jews. And he was taught, you know, through a vision just before baptizing Cornelius and his family, that all food is okay to eat. In other words, the Gentiles have a place in my community, said Jesus. Okay, so he knows this. Um, verse Galatians 2, verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Woo! One apostle really rebuking another one here, right? <laughs> For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Right, he knew it's okay to eat with them. And it was a form not just of eating, but of fellowship and acceptance into the family. But when they came... But when they came, these are the, the men from James, uh, from the, these were uh, Jews, Judaizers probably. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Ah, oh, Peter still got a bit of an issue with fear, eh? Fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. But when I saw there that their conduct conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Point being that Peter gave in to peer pressure. I'm pleased we never give in to peer pressure. Eh? <laughs> I think that's the, one of the things that can really distract us from following Jesus, is when we give in to peer pressure. Knowing what's right, but the pressure of just looking good, and of not rocking the boat, it's just too great, right? So Peter, yeah, you know, he messed up again, right? But Jesus would have said, follow me. You know, if we, if we read the, you know, the, the end, read between the lines, but also trust church tradition. Church tradition, and remember, this was just a generation after this, you know, these books were written, so we can rely on this, I believe. Church tradition has Peter arrested, and crucified in Rome. And he said, that's fine. I will die for you. Remember he said, he's messed up a few times since then. He said, yeah, I will die. And he even took it further. He said, but do not crucify me the right way. I'll crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy of dying the way my Lord died. That's Peter. A guy who messed up, right? but who still answered the call to follow Jesus. And he is one of the greatest examples in the Bible that I can relate to. Can you guys relate to Peter? Amen. Ever mess up in big ways? And you think you've got over it and you mess up in another way. Whew. Now, Peter was impulsive. You know, he let Jesus down in his hour of greatest need. He gave into peer pressure. And he has to think Peter was like you and me. Um, he was not perfect. He made mistakes. But Jesus offered him a way back over and over again. Follow me, he said to Peter. And Jesus says the same to us. As I say, some of you, you have lost faith. You've been overwhelmed by life's problems. 
you are stuck in your growth. Maybe you feel regret and guilt. Maybe you just feel nothing, numbed. That's the worst feeling. I'm here, but I'm not here. Right? I'm physically here, but my mind's not here. My heart's not here. My conviction isn't there. I've lost my passion. Maybe you feel numbed. You are very aware of the call to follow Jesus. Many of you here chose to follow Jesus, and you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. You embraced being an apprentice of him, learning from him, changing to be like him. And for a while, maybe you did change. You did change. But stuff happens. Things have happened. You've messed up. You have regrets. You know, I've been in that place. In fact, quite recently, I'm not going to go into the, the detail. And I think that many of us here, if not all of us here, have been in that place. Where we've lost something. There's an emptiness, there's a sadness, there's a mourning. And it can be an extended time. And it's, it's good to mourn. You know, but Jesus doesn't want us to stay there forever. Jesus wants to take us back and learn the lessons we need to learn. And then say, come, follow me. I forgive you. It's going to be good. Trust me. I'll provide the fish and the bread, remember. Right? Follow me. It's going, to be, it's going to be okay. I will restore you. I'll forgive you. I'll give you. I'll re-energize you. I'll give an extra portion of my spirit, maybe. I don't know if he says that, where that comes from. We say it, amen. We get an extra portion of Jesus' spirit when we trust him the way Peter did. So my encouragement to us today is to remember the story of Peter and what it tells us about the love and the patience and the grace of Jesus and the effort that he is willing to go to to address you in your specific situation as you sit here this morning. And to, and to restore you as a fully committed apprentice of him. Follow me. Amen. Thank you. Amen.